All right, what's up, everyone? We just want to welcome you back to Off Beat Podcast, your podcast where we bring all the offbeat stories right here to this offbeat platform. And today we have a special guest, and uh, they have also an offbeat story. And we're gonna we're so excited to be able to hear. And uh, I just want to welcome Angie, Angie Ovalle. Welcome to Offbeat Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. I'm excited and I'm super proud of everything that you guys have done. This is awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, and yeah, we've um, known each other a few years now. We've known mm-hmm. each other a few years. I uh, I know your family pretty well. Yeah. Uh, your brother, John, he's mm-hmm. a good, good friend of mine. And we go back... Um, about 18 years now, 18 years wow. now with your brother. I was, That's a long time. It is. Almost it is. two decades. <laughs> I know. Wow. Oh, man, why you got to put it like that? <laughs> <laughs> That's a long time. <laughs> That's is. awesome, though. It must yeah. be a good, great friendship. Yeah, yeah. He's a good friend. And, um, you know, uh, your mom, your family and everything, mm-hmm. you know, we really... Uh, we really have a deep appreciation for you guys. Oh, thank you, guys. You so, guys are awesome. Yeah. Thank you. So, Angie, I, we know you have an offbeat story, and uh, I thank you so much for agreeing to be able to come on here and share. Um, and there's a lot that we that we want to talk about. There's a lot that I wanna I want to dig into. Okay. And um, but first of all, why don't you just start off by tell us a little bit about you, where you were born, your family, your upbringing. Okay. Well, my name is NG Ovaje. Um, I was born and raised in the Inland Empire. So I am very Inland Empire. I am a child to immigrant parents. So I grew up here um, and I am bilingual. And yeah, I grew up in the Inland Empire. Uh, My hometown is Bloomington. So I grew up in Bloomington. And yeah, that's pretty much it as far as like growing up here. I'm from here and um, my parents are actually Colombian. Um, you know this. Yeah. <laughs> my brother is John, if you guys heard his story. Um, so I was actually one of the first born here of my siblings. My siblings, the older ones were born in Colombia and also migrated here. Yeah. And, you know, I'm just I have a deep appreciation for my family, especially my mom who had the guts to travel. Yeah under the ground and get here and then I was born so I had you know many opportunities and privileges that even my older siblings didn't have growing up yeah yeah no and definitely that it was a lot of guts especially after hearing the story when when John the uh when John shared the story about after she went back for them and she traveled and man my mom she has guts I she has a lot of valor for sure like she's very has a lot of courage and every time I think about you know having a social security number some of us take it for granted but my mom really paid a price for me to even have a social security number you know so I don't take that for granted at all I am very appreciative of what my mom had to go through to like get us here yeah yeah and that's so that's awesome and 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 honor where honor is due for real because shout out to all the um uh, Latino Hispanic parents that had yep. to come and, and sacrifice a lot. You know, I, I think a lot of people don't don't understand that and don't appreciate that. And it's a subject that, man, like you know, only us that grew up with parents right. like that can actually be like, man, you know what? We are so grateful, mm-hmm. so grateful. So tell us a little bit. How was it growing up? I think you're the second person from Bloomington that we oh, interviewed. Really? Yeah, yeah, we nice. had another guest. Uh, 
Shout out to Jessica Ramirez. We she's also from Bloomington. Oh, that's but, cool. But how was uh, how was your childhood? How was it growing up? Um, well, you know, I have immigrant parents that didn't speak English and they actually don't really speak English that much now, even, even now, but I think growing up, um, in Bloomington, it was, it was a little different for me. Like I can probably share a little bit of like the same culture shock that my brother kind of endured during his high school years as well. Because we are Colombian and the Inland Empire is mostly more like Mexican. Yeah. So growing up, I did not feel like I fit in anywhere because culturally I didn't fit in anywhere because there was no Colombians to fit in (laughs) with. And so um, just growing up, you know, I think people thought I was a little more like whitewashed because (laughs) I like I just didn't fit into the Mexican culture because I didn't know it. Right. So like my Spanish at home was like one way and then I would go to school and like all the Mexican kids are like listening to like corridos and like yeah. banda and stuff. And I'm like, what is that? Like, yeah. I have no idea what this is. Where's the salsa music? Where is it? Exactly. So I grew up on like salsa, cumbias, like merengue yeah. and stuff. So yeah, that, 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 that was a little bit of my upbringing. And then, you know, Bloomington, um, it's a little bit like the hood, you know. Just a little bit. So, you know, you grow up seeing a lot of like drugs, you know, everyone's yeah. smoking weed at a very young age, um, you know, a little bit of like poverty. So, yeah, yeah, I got to experience all that at a very young age. Yeah. And what what do you feel helped you stay away from a lot of that stuff early on? Um, I didn't. I didn't stay okay. away from all it. Right. All right. <laughs> I actually, um, you know, all of my friends, you know, everyone, I... I didn't stay away. I started partying at a very young age, probably 14, 15 years old. Okay. All yeah. Right. So, and how did that, how was that, you know, when you started, you know, evolving in that lifestyle, the party scene and everything, how did your parents take that in the beginning? Um, to be quite honest, I think I have amazing parents, yeah. but I think like all of us, um, there might've been areas where we might've been neglected as children. Yeah. And so even as adolescents, we, we might've been neglected. My parents probably didn't even know. They probably, yeah, they probably had no idea. And I was a really sneaky kid. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just being honest. And it, was it just you or? or? No, all of us. <laughs> I think all my siblings at some point had like a hard party phase. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so what do you feel like that? taste of freedom that taste of liberty that party life what do you feel that it it did to you though early on you know what it's crazy because you think that's freedom but you're it's not it's not free at all and i say it's not free at all because there's no peace like you're doing whatever you want but there's no peace you know you're constantly looking to like fulfill yourself with the next thing. Yeah. And it's, that's not freedom. You're pretty much bound to everything that you're looking to fill yourself up with. Yeah. And was that you, would you say that was kind of like your way of fulfilling your identity? Yes. I think there was, I, maybe another thing I should mention too, that was like very important during my childhood was that Mm. I had one parent that was like completely on one spectrum and then another parent that was completely on another spectrum. And one parent was like a super party animal, going out, drinking, the life of the party. And then I had the other parent that was like super hyper religious. So that brought a lot of confusion. You know what I mean? Mm. Because I was I would think like, man, like 
you don't have this parent that's like in church and talks about God and is yeah. like, but doesn't seem happy. And then I have this parent mm. that is drinking and, and partying and he just looks like he's having the time of his life, you yeah. know? And so I think it was just like, I had no identity. I had no idea who I was. And, um, I was looking to like find myself to like fit in somewhere. Yeah. And I don't know. I just, I never felt, even when I, I thought I fit in, I never felt fully like I fit in somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could totally relate to that. And is there something that you could recall, like, you know, growing up in your high school years or even junior high, like anything that you would say, man, was a, just a big game changer in your life? Um, yeah. So I think, um, growing up where I did, it was very normal to like smoke weed and stuff. Um, but I think once I started seeing like, you know, just children pretty much, cause if you're 14, 15 years old, you're, you're a child. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just they were getting into like, my friends were getting into like harder drugs and I had friends, I had one friend that like overdosed oh. and, um, and then I had another friend that um, ended up going to like juvie because she was just going crazy on like the drugs and getting very violent. And wow. so at that point, I think I was like 16 and I was like, is this really like what I want? Yeah. Um, so then I kind of stopped hanging out with people who did drugs. And I, th I really, really think this is like my mom's prayers that kept me from even trying like those harder drugs and stuff because it would literally be right in front of my face and I would be like no no I'm like not into that yeah no yeah that's so that was a big game changer for you to finally and then did you finish high school yes I graduated high school and then I didn't really party for like a couple of years I really was trying I think at this time I really was like okay I want to like get it together I want to have a good life yeah. and I think in my own way I was trying to like seek God um but I think I was always taught God is like a religion so yeah. I never really found the God that I was looking for because all I knew how to seek him was like in such a religious way right that I never tangibly had a relationship like a real true relationship with God yeah yeah and I could totally see that because like you said you had Two extremes, you know, yeah. growing up, you know, and because I know your dad a little bit now, yeah. and uh, he's a he's a great guy. Yeah, he, he's he a really funny is. guy. He's funny. He's hilarious, <laughs> and um, you know, and and I also know your mom, and I, you know, so growing up, I I uh, knew a little bit about mm -hmm. you guys's family dynamic, you know, so I could totally see how that that could enter and that could be a factor of confusion, you know, in a, right. in, a in a especially a teenager, mm -hmm. you know, like you said, at, at that age, you, we really feel like we're grown. But now when you look at a 13, 14 year old, you're like, man, they're just, they're, they're kids. just a child. Yeah. And so I could totally see why that would, you know, bring confusion to you, bring that factor in where, man, like, what is it? Because like you said, you know, on one side you see, but it's like, but is, are they really happy, you know, mm -hmm. or, you know, are they really being fulfilled, you know? And so now when you're seeking that out, it's like, man, like, you know, how do I do it without these extremes? Right. You know, how do I do it without these extremes? You know, so, so now kind of, we want, I kind of want to fast forward a little bit because I know you've shared your, your, uh, big part of your story mm -hmm. and, um, it's kind of what I want to get into because I feel like 
this part of your story is is really going to be relatable to a lot of people, you know. And and so um, I know in that you were you you came from a a marriage, right? Mm-hmm. You had gone into. Do you want to kind of talk how that kind of lead us into that? Lead us into how that happened, and and we can kind of go from there. I think my upbringing had everything to do with with me going into that. I think because um, I didn't really see love in the home, not necessarily not towards me, but right. within between my parents. So my family dynamic was very dysfunctional mm-hmm. and <clears throat> it's taken me years of like therapy and counseling to like actually be able to admit like I grew up in a dysfunctional home. Yeah. Although my dad was very fun and my mom was amazing, always took care of us. There was a lot of neglect. Um, <clears throat> so I think because I had this idea of what a godly man was supposed to look like, because this is how my mind was programmed um, I thought going into this, it was a godly thing mm-hmm. and we'll fast, we'll, we'll kind of go back into like that time in my life where I really was yeah. seeking God. And I thought that I, I, I had a relationship with God and I thought I knew God because I've heard of God my whole life, you yeah. know? Um, and I, I've heard of Jesus my whole life and I've heard God loves you and Jesus is our savior. And, but I really didn't. I didn't really know it, you know? Yeah. And so when I got into this relationship, and again, it's taken me therapy and counseling to be able to even admit to this. Yeah. I married without even loving. I didn't even love this person. Yeah. I just thought, this is what God wants. This is God's will. We're going to make a good couple together. We're going to be successful. And that I forgot the most important component, and it was love, and that was my fault. You know, but it was, it was, it was a big learning lesson. And, you know, I went into this relationship wanting to please God and wanting to honor him in every single way. And I just thought this was a man of God, you know, and unfortunately he wasn't, you know, and he just turned out to be very abusive. It was very like. I think like two days into the marriage, that's when I started like experiencing abuse. Let me ask you, like, in the, was there a dating process? <clears throat> there was a dating process. Um, again, because of, I don't know how to say this, but because of the religion. Yeah, the religion factor. The religion factor played a big... And it's funny that you say that because I was actually just talking to someone yesterday, literally yesterday Mm -hmm. about this. And um, we're talking about how when you, because I, I, it's very, this is a, it's a very sensitive subject because I want to make sure I communicate this as as well as possible because we're, we're not trying to say that, you know, that you shouldn't, you shouldn't desire, you know, to, um, you know, get into a relationship with with the ends of marrying that person. Like, we're, I'm not trying to say that, mm-hmm. but what I was talking to this individual about yesterday was that many times we we get that factor inside of us that no, no, this this has to lead. Like, in order to please God, this has to lead to marriage. Exactly. And, right. And so, and what happens with that is that <laughs> we, even if we see red flags, we will always cover it with the God factor. Yep. And then I had people in my ear, right. obviously, 
like, oh, you guys don't want to fall into sin. So if you guys are already hanging out together, like just get married. You don't want to fall into sin because then that's even worse. But I wish someone would have told me like, get to know them. Don't be afraid to like hang out with them and get to know them for who they really are. Yeah. Um, But to be honest with you too, I think, I really do think there, this was a tactic of the enemy to completely try and destroy me at a very young age. Cause I was like 19 or 20 at this, yeah. at this time. And so I think although the religiosity and like, you know, the enemy trying to come in and like steal my life and whatever yeah. purpose God had for me, I think he was really, really going at me at that time. Yeah. No. And, and, and a lot of times what we don't understand is that the other day I was, I was listening to this and, and it made so much sense when um, he was talking about how how the enemy will always try to destroy the infrastructure from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, it, the infrastructure is basically like the way we were raised, you know, the fundamental values that we hold on to. The, you know, the, the first five years of a child's life, you know, we always hear that it's the most important. Right. But usually that's when if the enemy can can kind of come in and already plant seeds and destroy certain things in in that person's and that child's life, then what happens is that he's already destroyed parts of that infrastructure. And a lot of times we don't see it until we grow up. Right. We don't see it. We, we, we go on our life. We, you know, adolescent teenagers, we graduate and we, we even enter our twenties. And then finally, when big life events happen, like marriage, like dating, like children, Mm -hmm. that's when all of a sudden that infrastructure that we needed, that base, that foundation, all of a sudden we begin to realize that, wait, there's something missing here. Why right. Why am I like this? It's like an exposure. Yeah. Like you're finally being exposed outwardly. Yeah. You know, whatever you have inwardly, it's like being exposed outwardly. And is that kind of like what? Um, That's definitely what happened. I think, <clears throat> I think because I grew up and um, this is something that I really had to you know, kind of get together in my mind um, as an adult was because my dad was out drinking and partying and stuff like that. My dad never left us. I know you know this. My dad's never left us. He's always been there financially. Um, And he was never one to like abandon us, right? But because my dad um, was out partying and stuff and then I had my mom in church and then my mom would bring us to church, my dad in the churches was always painted as the bad guy. Right. So my mind was just like, I have to date someone that's completely like I have to marry someone completely opposite from my dad. And I just got very religious. I was like, he has to go to church. He can't drink like he he has to have a business. And I just got very much like that because that's what I was taught. And so what did I what did I see when this figure came and it was exactly that? I thought, man, this is God. Like, this is totally God. But it was totally just me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even early on, kind of going back to to the to the um, to that point in your dating process, did you ever see red flags? I did. What were some of those red flags? Because I I, I, want to. And and just to kind of clarify, I want to expose it, not in a sense where we want to look people make make them look bad. Right. You know, because we all have bad areas. Yep. I have bad areas. We all do, you know. But I really feel like this needs to be said so that it can help people. Yeah. 
What kind of red flag? I think, okay, keep in mind, I was like 19 years old, right? We're, we're still kids at yeah. this point. Well, he was a lot older than I was. Um, <clears throat> so I was like 19, 20 years old. And I, I don't remember where we were, but um, my friend at the time had let me borrow her car. And I don't know where I was going or what we were supposed to do or meet up or whatever. <laughs> um, but um he ended up getting mad about something i honestly don't even remember what it was he was bothered about something so what did he do he like grabbed her car keys took off and like just left me there right he just left me there and then i had to walk wherever i was going but for me because i grew up in bloomington and i used to walk everywhere that was we we didn't have cars in bloomington so (laughs) that to me was still normal like oh whatever i'm just gonna walk and i remember another one of my guy friends driving by and seeing me like why are you walking and i was like oh it's because he he took he took my friend's car blah 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 he's like and i remember him trying to like snap me out of it yeah but in my mind i was like i can walk like this is fine. I'm used to yeah. walking. And I, 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 I think I just completely like, I don't know. I just didn't pay attention. But if something like that happened to one of my little friends, I would have been like, girl, right. a man does not do that. Yeah. A man does not like leave you stranded. Yeah. <clears throat> but relationships can do have a tendency to blind us sometimes. Right. Because we can see red flags and we could still ignore them because for the sake of Number one, because we're in that relationship. A lot of times when the person who's in that relationship is the most blind, you know, I yeah. can I can I can admit that, you know, from experience as well. But also, you know, just because that factor of like, no, you know what, like all the other dots connect. Mm-hmm. You know, all the other dots connect. So this 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 must be this must be a, a godly relationship that I should go into. And I think I covered it up a lot, too, because like I'm like, I just have to be patient because this is God's purpose. Mm-hmm. And you're taught like within God, you have like adversity and stuff like that. Yeah. And you just have to win. But it was just all deceit. It was all lies. And honestly, it was very few like red flags. Um but I should have paid attention. But I honestly, I, at that time, I just didn't know any better. Yeah. Yeah. You're I ni- was vulnerable, 19, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. 19 is young. It's yeah. really young, you know. And um, I can relate to that a lot. You know, I was married at a young age, too. Mm-hmm. Very young. I think I was, I don't even remember. I think the first, you know, my first marriage, I was like 21, mm-hmm. 22. And so, you know, and and the same thing, you know, like it was, I, and I that's I relate so much to it because it really was, um, and I mean, and I say this in the most respectful way possible, but there, the love factor was not there. Mm. You know, every, it was just the religious factor, like that everything points to having a successful, you know, quote yeah, unquote yeah. relationship within the church, you know, but it wasn't really like, do I really love this person? You know, am I really paying attention to the red flags? You know, am I really, you know, it, I threw all that out, you know, for that, which which is not a bad thing, but I think that we need to teach more people. Like you said, we need to teach, we need to teach more self-awareness. Yep. You know, we need to teach more self-awareness because I think sometimes it's easier just to point people to dating, you know, because like, for example, one, like a big, big example of like, um, like in the more modern churches, it, it's a little bit more, more, there's more freedom, mm-hmm. you know, when, when it comes to dating. But in the more old school, traditional right. style Christian churches, you still see that where like you'll hear things, comments like, 
you know, hey, you know what, like, you know, don't be, don't be dating around so much. You know, you're going to be looked at bad. Right. You know, you're going to be looked your at example. as that. Yeah, you're an example, remember. And so what that does is that that creates, um, that creates something inside the mind, whether we know it or not, that creates something within them. You're being programmed. Exactly. You're being programmed to think, no, oh, you're, they're right. I am mm-hmm. an example. Wait, I do have to fulfill this. Wait, you know what? You're right. I should look at absolute marriage only mm-hmm. instead of dealing with like, okay, do you struggle? Do you struggle with sexual sin? If you exactly. do, let's deal with that. Yes. If you struggle with loneliness, oh, you don't need a partner for that. Let's deal with that. Right. Do you struggle with anger? You know, let's deal with that because relationships are only going to mask those things. But eventually, you know, we need to get better at that. Mm-hmm. I really believe we need to get better at that. And we need to stop telling people because the best thing that people can do is learn self-awareness, learn what issues we have to deal with, deal with them in the proper, healthy way, and be okay with creating friendships because we need to get to know people before exactly. you marry them. Exactly. <laughs> And I think just going back to like what you were saying about the infrastructure of like what a family is supposed to be like, you know what I mean? If we come from dysfunctional homes and that makes us dysfunctional beings and then we're just being thrown into a marriage with another dysfunctional being that comes from a dysfunctional home, like you guys are just going to be a mess, like to be honest, yeah, you know what I mean? And I know it's like, I know it's, it's a God thing to get married, but we should really work as individuals first right. and then look for the right person. And not just because it looks right or because it makes sense, Yeah. but also that love factor too. Yeah. That love, that love and that, that love factor is a big thing. You know, if you don't, that's a whole nother subject, but right. that's a big thing. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's like, you gotta, if there's not that deep love, if there's not that deep sense of appreciation, right. other than that deep word, like, man, you know, even that... Even I even dare to say sometimes even that that physical attraction, you know, like sometimes like we be, even in but going back, you know, that that religious mentality right. of like where and I'm not saying that we should be shallow. <laughs> right. You know, I'm not saying that like there's there's but there's a lot of layers. There's so much layers that it's hard to exactly to like just say this is the only factor, mm-hmm. you know, and I think we have to be better at becoming self-aware you know, and anyways, but going back to kind of like what you're dealing with. So you see some red flags, you kind of just learn to just put it to the side, mm-hmm. kind of just learn to ignore it. And then finally, you know, what led you guys to say, I do. So he actually sat me down, <coughs> excuse me. And I think this is where I'm like, okay, I think sometimes, man, the devil is so astute. He like knows you better than you know yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think he knew my like true heart's desires, even though I really am. And I'm 19 and I kind of knew what I wanted, right. you know, but there was deep, deep desires. Um, also, because I did grow up in the church, you know what I mean? I had an yeah. idea of what maybe a healthy, godly marriage would look like. Right. So he actually sat me down and he was like, hey, like he wrote like a list of like non-negotiables, right? He's like, okay, this is what I look for in a wife. Um, This is how I want to raise my kids. I don't want any drinking in the house. I don't want any partying. Like, I want to seek righteousness. Like, I want to do this. I want to be very wealthy. And I want to build a life together and a business together. He kind of, like, laid down all his non-negotiables with me. And I was like, wow, 
like, this is amazing. You know, I was like, wow, this is like a God thing. Yeah. Um, but you know, the, what's the saying? Um, a lion, uh, a wolf dressed in, um, sheep's Sheep's clothing. clothing. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. Yeah. There were, it was masked with good intentions. Yeah. You know, and, and who's to say that maybe there was something inside of him that maybe did believe in those true intentions, you know, but I think that again, it's, that's one of the mistakes sometimes that we make is that we fall for what seems right Mm -hmm. instead of actually being vulnerable and transparent. Right. And, And like, that's good to lay aside, but what if, you know what, I have these issues that I'm dealing with, Right. you know, do you still accept me? Are you still willing to work with me in these areas? You know, or what do we have to do to kind of fix these areas or what should we do or what premarital counseling should we seek out, you know? But instead, like you said, you know, it's masked with these good intentions. It's masked with these like, oh, yeah, that's the perfect life. Because I think even to the per like to anybody that sounds amazing that sounds like a good life so yeah like you said he probably really desired that like he had an idea of that and he probably really desired it and so um yeah we went into the marriage but i think it was just like maybe like the first weekend i don't know if you've ever seen that movie enough with jennifer lopez yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. Okay. So when I watch that movie, I'm like, oh my god! Like, I kind of like, I, I just feel like I relate to her so much because like, this comes like this Prince Charming, and he, he's just like sweeps her off her feet, right? And he does like he makes like all these promises, and then he gives her everything, right? Mm-hmm. And then at, in like a flip of a switch, he just becomes like this whole different person. And it's just like, what the heck? Like, I thought he was this, right? Yeah. And e- even in the movie, it's like a very hard, like, flip, like a very drastic switch. Right. And that's literally what it was. And what started <clears throat> to happen? What did you start to notice? What did you start to see? So I started to notice more like the way that he would talk to me. Okay. So it, and and then keep in mind, like my childhood, I, I was never, my parents weren't abusive towards me. Okay. So I didn't know what abuse was. I just know that the way he spoke to me was like, um, I was not used to it at yeah. all because my parents did not talk to me like that. You know, as a child, I was like never spanked or anything like that. Right. So <clears throat> for me, like someone talking to just kind of like putting me down, like, why do you look like that? Why do you stand like that? Like just picking at absolutely everything just picking at everything it was like really like what the heck and um like I, just in public or in private it was more in private so he would do it in private and then I think a big big factor was that he was very close to one of his family members and this family member too was you know we we, we got to see it like this they're just very broken individuals um also coming from dysfunctional homes And so he decided to let this person come and live with us. And that was like the worst thing ever for me, I think, because now it was two people abusing me um, emotionally and verbally. So wait, so so this individual was also being abusive, like verbally towards you? Really? And in front of him. And in front of him. And And it was just normal. Like it was just normal. And I mean, would you ever speak up to like say, oh, absolutely. Like what? (laughs) Absolutely. I think that's the thing that it was because 
como que no me dejaba. So right. it's like they more wanted to like attack me. Yeah. And so it was two of them. And I just, I guess you can say I was very unsubmissive. I mean, you're abusing me. So I did, I didn't, I didn't have the desire to be submissive towards you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they would just, you know, he would like call me like the B word, you know, he would call me a slut, like right in front of him. It was just, that, that was just very normal. Wow. No, mm -hmm. man, that's, that's. That's crazy, man. I, I I don't even know what to say. Like I know it's it, crazy it's, because I was not used to being spoken to like that right. at my house. Like my dad never cussed at me. Um, you know, my parents never spoke to me like that. So, but I since because I never experienced abuse, like I didn't know what it was. I just knew it wasn't right. Yeah. Um, but I didn't knew I didn't know what it was. And I just started living in such like terror um that I could not sleep at night. I just could not sleep at night. And then that other person was very weird. Like, um, I think now that I'm, I'm older and like I said, I've been through like therapy and stuff. I yeah. can, I can now understand that there was like a predator type, um, vibe coming from that other person. And that's yeah. why I was so scared of them. Like if he, if I knew he was coming through the door, like I would go hide and try to lock the door yeah. or just stuff like that. Try to avoid them. Like it was completely, a very, yeah, it was a very toxic environment. It was very toxic. Yeah. If I didn't like, um, make as much money as that person, as, as my ex, um, he would attack me. Um, even going into like financials, he would always like take money from me. I would always have to be paying for, I don't know what, it just didn't make sense. There was just no good f and, fundamentals. And I mean, like what was it? Did he ever even try to explain like and uh, justify why he was this way? Um, I think, yes, there was a time, um, cause we, we did attend church and we did seek like counseling and stuff before. Okay. Um, but I just, there was just so many ear, like, um, there was just so many voices in our ears Yeah. and I think we sought the wrong, um, counsel. I'm going to be honest with you, yeah. whether it would have been with our friends at the time or even in the church. Um, I, 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 he, one time he, I, when I left, I decided to leave. He went to the church. He went back to the church, which by the way, like a couple, maybe like a month or two in the, in the, in the marriage, mm -hmm. he prohibited me to go to church. Like I was not allowed to go to church. So after marriage, <clears throat> after marriage, I could not go to the church. He would control everything I would do. What time I would shower, um, what time I would go to the gym. Just very narcissist type behavior from yeah. both of them. Yeah. That's, that's got to be a definition of a narcissist it's, it's yeah yeah controlling a lot of it seems like there was a lot of gaslighting oh there was a lot of gaslighting I remember one time um I actually got the stomach flu and I was like literally throwing up throwing up and I just remember them like I remember him yelling at me like you need to go make money like you can't just be at home and I'm like throwing up throwing up just completely sick and he's like you're just a weenie I remember him telling that telling me that like you're just a weenie and, and so that all gets in your head like you know, you're just lazy, like just stuff like that. Yeah, mm -hmm. man. And so throughout this entire process, like how, how long, let me ask you, how long did that marriage end up lasting? I, it lasted, uh, two and a half years, I believe. Two and a half no, years. two years, I think okay. two years. So, and, and so basically, cause it started really early on. It started so early on. And like I said, I wasn't used to it. So I immediately started seeking ways out. 
Like, I think, like, I don't even know, like, maybe two, three months into the marriage, I was already looking for, like, ways out. But yeah. but because he knew I was, he would try to, like, limit. So he would take my phone. He would take the car keys. Yeah. And if I didn't, I think one of his biggest forms of abuse to me was if I didn't do what he wanted, he would throw me out of the house. And I just, I would have to sleep in my car. Also, you would literally physically leave your house at times. He would throw me out, yeah. Kick you out. And this was normal. This was normal for him to just throw me out, be like, you don't live here anymore, and just like kind of throw me out. And I mean, <coughs> and not to and not to justify, not to even try to find a justification because at the end of the day, what's wrong is wrong. But now when you look back or even in that moment, was there anything that, that maybe was owed? Like, was there a reason why he would? No, he was the way that he was. I, I, I. Is there I, anything that you could pinpoint? His I, family, something. I think, like I mentioned, we were both broken. Like yeah. I was broken. I grew up, even though I didn't grow up in an abusive home, my phone was still very dysfunctional. Yeah. Um, I don't know too much of his childhood, which is something you should get to know about yeah. a person before you get into marriage. Um. I think a lot of it, yeah, he probably had a lot of trauma, but I'm going to be honest with you. I, I think we need to like be held accountable and just like God uses people, the devil uses people. And yeah. sometimes when the devil uses people, like you let yourself be used. Yeah. And I just really, I really, really, I really, really believe that. Yeah. Yeah. You, you just kind of take it as where, you know what, it was something that, you know, you were deceived into, you know. <laughs> As much as I want to take responsibility, and I do, I do want to take responsibility because I made the decision to do so. I was an adult at the time. I was a legal adult. Yeah. Um, I really do think he sought me out and saw my vulnerability and was like, I, this is just what I'm going to do. Yeah. And he took advantage of that. Yeah. I think too, because I mean, at 19 years old, you're still, even though I had seen a lot during my life growing up and stuff where I did grow up. I was still very innocent. I was so naive. I was still very, very naive. I look back and I'm like, man, I was a little girl and he was older than me. So I, I think like, it's like me now dating like a 20 year old. I would be like, nah, that's a little boy. You know, he's still, he's still naive. He's still young. He's still innocent. So I think he just, you know, I think that's what it was. I was just vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and because I remember... I remember, like, I want to say it was, like, maybe in um, 2015, I think, maybe, when when I um, I remember I was at, working at an office at that time, and your family mm-hmm. came, and I think you came. I don't know if you remember that time. It was right there in the office in Bloomington. I was working. It was a, it was a, it was a little part-time gig that I mm-hmm. had doing taxes, and, um, and um, it was, like, an insurance office. Okay. Well, anyways, I remember, I remember, I hadn't seen you in years, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, Finally, you know, that's, um, I saw you again and, and I do remember seeing like the sadness. Like, oh yeah. I, I remember. That year was sad for me. I remember. <laughs> yeah. I remember seeing and, and I remember even like, cause John came shortly mm-hmm. after, you know, cause it was your parents and, mm-hmm. and they were with you and, and, you know, but you looked really down, like you looked sad, you know, um, I, it wasn't the person that I was used to seeing right. a couple of years back, you know, when you were in high school, you know, even the times that we would see and mm-hmm. see you in church, you know, um, you and your sister, you guys always looked happy, smiling, yeah. you know, 
Um, and so I was like, I asked John, I remember, hey, like, is everything okay with your mm-hmm. sister? Because honestly, like, I, she came in the other day and... Um, and I he, liked a mess. Yeah, and like, and he was like, you know, he's just kind of like, just shook his head, put his head down. Yeah. He's just like, you know, yeah, she's, she's going through it. She's mm-hmm. going through it. So kind of share with us a little bit because two years of putting up with what you yeah. had to put up with. I think, um, well, I always wanted to leave. Right. Um, and even with like, um, therapists that I've had in the past and counselors, they're like, even in all your relationships, like you always knew when to leave. And I remember, um, before I started taking counseling within the church, I did Mm -hmm. do therapy, like, you know, regular therapy, just conventional therapy. And I remember him telling me, um, most most victims of abuse <clears throat> after like a, a five-year mark, once you're experimenting emotional abuse, mental abuse, and verbal abuse, after five years, it's a statistic. You will, it will turn into a domestic violent relationship. It will turn into a domestic violent home. And they always tell me like, you left right before, you know, 98% of women don't leave. And so I think because I really had people praying for me even during that time, I just knew it wasn't normal. I just knew it wasn't normal. And to be honest with you, it's not like I was dying to be with this person. I really stuck to the thought of I can't get divorced because that's from the devil. Like if I made this decision, I have to like stick through it. And then I was just like, maybe it's just like adversity. And, you know, this is all part of like the plan of God's plan. This is the test. It's a test. It's like trial. E- Exactly. I just thought yeah. it was like trials and stuff because I wasn't familiar with abuse. I couldn't categorize it as abuse. Right. So even when I would go and tell people like what he would do, like I never said he's abusing me or I never said he's verbally abusive. Yeah, because I, I didn't know what that was. Yeah, because that's what I was going to ask. Like when you guys would seek out couples therapy, you know, how would those conversations tend to look like? Um, when we would go, which, by the way, I would never go and seek help. I would go and seek help for myself. But the times that I would leave, he would go running back to the church and trying to like talk to the like the pastor and stuff. And we would sit down and the pastor would tell him like, hey, like this is not right this is not right. Like she's living in total fear and this is not how you treat a wife. And he would say like, okay, okay. And he would cry. That's one thing. He would always like just ball his eyes out. Like he was so like arrepentido. Maybe he was, I I don't know. I don't know. But it, it, it would change for like a month or two. And then he would go back to the same like abuse, talking to the same people. Um, and just, you know, just, things that he would say he would he would take money out of my bank account even when like I separated from him and I like met Independice I went and got my own job um and I got my own home and stuff like that like he would still find ways to like take money out and pay for that other person's stuff there was like a huge attachment between him and that other person and I would be like I am not paying I'm not working for you to go pay this person's cell phone bill. Like this is not. 
And so it was a lot of like gaslighting, a lot of like trying to brainwash me. If I didn't do what he said for him and that other, like if I didn't take care of him and that other person, I was like the worst in the world. I was an unsubmissive wife. And that's another thing. Like, you're just so unsubmissive. Like, you're not a godly wife. You're so unsubmissive. Yeah. And I was, I was, I was unsubmissive. I could well, not submit well, to him. Every, well, with every right too. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think that that's, yeah. that's one of the biggest, you know, mistakes that, you know, I, I say this yeah. from a guy's perspective is that, you know, how we can never expect our wives to fully respect us, you know, if we don't ever show love and respect towards them. You know, mm-hmm. that's one thing that I've learned and I'm still learning, you know, throughout these last few years of marriage with my wife is that, man, you know what? Like I can't I can't expect, it, you know, love in the same way. I can't expect it if I'm not giving it. Right. You know, I can't expect that servant, even that like that service from them if if I'm not giving it, you know. So with all right you had, you know, you had every right to how can you be submissive when, you know, you're not being treated as as the woman that you deserve yeah. to be treated, you know? Yeah, we're not being um valued. Yeah. And you know, <clears throat> there's a word menosprecio in, in Spanish. And I, that, that's what I felt. So once he got done with me, I was, I was a wreck. I was completely, I had like, I remember telling myself, like calling myself NG and I was just like, who is that? Who is NG? Cause I had no idea who he just got so in my head yeah. where like his, his voice is all that like I would hear. And that happens a lot with like narcissist and, and abusive relationship. Yeah. Um, so finally I remember <clears throat> It was the last time he thrown me out and I had been sleeping in my car and living out of my car for like two or three days and I had nowhere to go. Right. And so I was like, let me just go park in the apartment structure because I'm scared to sleep out. Right. And so I remember I parked, um, in in our parking space and then he comes and he knocks on my window and he's like, you can't stay here. Like you don't live here. And so he literally didn't even want to let me like sleep in my car in the parking structure. And I was just like thinking like, God, this could not be the rest of my life. Like I cannot do this. There's no way this is what marriage is supposed to be like or even life, just life in general. And of course, at this time, I had already developed such a deep fear, which turned into anxiety, which turned into depression, which caused me to like lose so much weight. I was I was already thin. I I have a thin structure. And then I just got even more, more, more. I was just like skin and bones. And so I remember just thinking like, no, and just crying out to God. I was literally crying out to God. I had like a blanket and I was just sleeping in like the driver's seat. And I just remember like crying out to God, like, God, I need to get out of here. <clears throat> and then I remember, um, which is, this is amazing. This is just amazing. This is God. This is God all over. Um, this pastor's wife calls me and she's like, hey, Miha, I know your sister. And she gave me your number. She wanted me to reach out to you. Um, how do you feel about going to a a retreat up in the mountains for the weekend. And I had nowhere to live, you know? I'm like, okay, well, that sounds nice, you know? <laughs> I was like, I, I actually have somewhere to, like, sleep. Yeah. And so I said, yeah. I was like, sure, yeah, yeah, I'm down. And then we went, and then, but the whole time I was there, I was, like, thinking when I get back, like, where am I going to stay? What am I going to do? And then I think I got back, and it was like, I think I stayed at one of my sister's house. I don't remember. 
but I remember even my family being like completely sad like all my siblings would see me and they would just be like torn like I can't believe like this is happening to my little sister you know and I remember um she calls me and she's like the the pastor's wife calls me again and she's like hey mija I want to have lunch with you or something like that um is it okay if uh, I pick you up or, or I don't remember what it was And I just remember we were in the car. I got in her car and I was just completely broken. I remember before that I had to go to like the 99 cent store and like scrap up change in my car because another thing he would do is like he would take out all the money out of the bank account. So I would be left with nothing. And so I remember scrapping up change and going to buy a toothbrush because I didn't want my breath to smell when I meet with this lady. And she was just like, Mija, um, I was talking with my husband and... um, I was thinking you can come over for dinner tonight. And I was like, okay. She's like, because I want to get the family together. I want to talk to my kids. Um, what do you, how do you feel about you coming and living with us? And I was like, what? Are you serious? Like, I literally was like, oh my God, are you serious? And so th- that's what it was. I went in and I moved in with them. Um, thankfully, her husband was a uh, psychology professor. Okay. At one of, I think it was like, uh, I don't know if it was San Bernardino Valley College or Cal State. So as soon as like I sat down and I was with, I was with him and he was like, he's like, well, one thing we need to like get straightened out right now is that you need to understand that you are being abused. And I was like, what? He's like, I've seen these cases for years and you look abused I can just see it on you and I was like what like this is crazy and God from there on just started like working on me and yeah I lived with them they had six kids (laughs) we all lived in one house I shared a room with um with their wonderful daughters and they just really would like sit down with me and have like little mini therapy sessions. Yeah. And one of the rules was I had to go to church on Sundays with them. So I went to church on Sundays during this time. This is how this is how astute he, he was. Um, <clears throat> they went and they, they took my phone for me that way that he wouldn't have contact with me. They hid my car in one of their business lots where I don't even know where it was at. Oh, wow. Just so they, they, cause she, uh, pastor's wife was like, I recognize this behavior. He's going right. to do anything he can to try and get you back. And he did, he would show up to the house, which I didn't know. I don't even know how he found the house yeah. to be honest with you. Cause he does not know these people. So he would like show up to the house. I knew this like <laughs> later on. And so, yeah, he would try looking for me. Once I got out of there and I was ready to go, um, I got my own job. I got my own place. Um, he said he wanted to try again. And I really, I looked at him and I was like, mm, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Something in me just did not believe him. And something in me was just so different. I remember it was just so different. So I remember he started getting counseling and then he was supposedly working on himself and we try to like do it again. I think he moved in for like a month, but then the behavior started up again. And I just remember one time I was like, no, you're not going to treat me like this. This is my house. You can leave. 
and he left and that it is what it is like he he was gone but I had like that authority now you know what I mean I wasn't broken anymore he couldn't break me anymore yeah and I think that 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 was like a big thing and I'm always going to be forever grateful for that family because they really helped me out and they gave you they gave you that second chance and they gave you that and I think more importantly they gave you that sense of you discovering your identity and right. your confidence back, you know, that was huge because yeah, it sounds like this person, you know, you know, regardless of whatever this person's thought process was, you know, he, he had done a good job at stripping that from you. you yeah. Know? He had done a, I had no idea who yeah. I was. Like I had never felt like that before. I've never felt like, like people would call me by my name and I'd just be like, who is that person? I have no idea who NG is yeah. because he completely stripped me of everything that I was. And so when he wanted to come around and like work on it again, I just was like, I don't know. I think I did it again because I was like, again, this like mindset of like, God is forgiving. God is compassionate. But yeah. my heart just was not in it. Like yeah. my heart was just not in it. And it's crazy because one day I got home from... I was hanging out with another, my friend, she's a pastor at another church, her and her husband. Um, and I got home and like everything was gone. Right. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, like he's gone. And I just remember thinking in my head, like I should really want to cry right now, but I didn't. I felt so happy. Like I literally remember how we had like a, a king size bed and I remember laying on my bed and just being like, yeah. I feel so much peace. Like relieved. I was so relieved and I know yeah. it sounds crazy because I should have been sad, I guess, but I was not, I was so happy. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. That's, and that's what, you know, I've seen that a lot of times too, you know, where people that, that are narcissist in, in nature, people that have controlling behaviors, mm-hmm. you know, they, that's their whole end game sometimes. Like their whole end game is, how they can manipulate and how they can control, you know? And once, once they don't have that factor, like they'll either try to, you know, if there's children involved, which thankfully there was no children involved. Like, no, I'm like, I'm I'm thankful for you. Like I'm thankful for that because I, yeah, that would have been so much tougher. And that just would have been one more thing that he could use against control. And then I would think this, like, when people would ask us, like, if you were going to have kids, I would think, like, how would he treat a daughter of ours? Would he treat the baby like me? Mm-hmm. If so, that would break me. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't think I can handle a little part of me also being abused in the same way. Yeah. I was like, thank the Lord we never had kids. Yeah. Thank God. Yeah. Everything everything <clears throat> really does happen for a reason, you know? And, yeah. And that was one thing that, that man, because, yeah, like, it's once they can't control once they've once they've lost that yeah you know they don't have anything to fall back on they don't and I remember even like after we made that decision um I would be driving and he would be like driving next to me like trying to like throw stuff at me to like get my attention at that time I already bought a new car like I was just you know I was set for myself yeah And I was just remember thinking like, man, the devil really can't come up with new tricks. Like I already knew all his like behaviors and everything. So nothing like it was just like unattractive, like nothing would be like. Yeah. yeah. And that and that's why, like, I wanted you to share that part so much, you know, because I think that it's a lesson for 
It's a lesson for a lot of women, number one, of course, because it's coming from a firsthand experience Mm -hmm. of someone who was in a very toxic relationship, you know, survived that toxic relationship, you know, but also it came with a lot of consequences. And we'll get into a little bit of that right now. But it's just a a good lesson for us to, to hear because not just for women, but even for men, you know, because when I hear things like that, you know, what it does for me, it just makes me feel like, man, what can I, what can I do better? You know, because sometimes we don't realize, you know, and, and, and hopefully wishfully, you know what I mean? That would have been the case with Mm -hmm. him is that he could have seen himself for who he really was, right? you know? And, and I, and I say that because I know that there's a lot of men out there that might hear this too. And, and it's just an encouragement because I'm nobody to judge, you know, anyone, you know what I mean? We all have our flaws. We all have our mistakes. We've all done our share of, you know, uh, mistakes, horrors, all that. But, you know, it's one thing to stay in that state of mind, you know? And, And I really feel like men should hear this and should hear it firsthand, you know, from a woman and, and how, how you were hurt, you know, and how the abuse, you know, what it caused in you and what it yeah. led to, you know, and thankfully it never led to anything serious because that's, like you said, it's so true. Like a lot of times these things lead to, you know, physical abuse, you right. know, and, and sometimes it's even more difficult for them to get out of this and, and they feel they have to live in that, right. you know, or men or women, men alike too, you know, where they feel they can't leave because of the children because of this, you know, and, you know, so it just, it's just a message that we really want to get out that, look, man, if you are a guy and you have these type of behaviors, if you, you know, identify them because you can change them, it really is up to us. It really is right. up to that person to say, you know, am I going to continue to be this way with in relationships or am I going to, you know, stand back, analyze myself, become self-aware of what it is I need to do, stop you know, doing these things, stop hurting people because that's exactly what, right. what it does. It yeah. hurts. It hurts people. Yeah. And I, I think it's very important for women to really pay attention to like the red flags, even in like early on in, in the beginning, <clears throat> even when you're just starting to get to like, to know this person, like, is this person controlling? Yeah. Is he a little like too jealous, you know? Yeah. Um, because, it will lead to like physical abuse. I, I, I think, oh man, God is so good because I really think I was at a point where the relationship was going to get um, physically abusive, not because of him. He was not aggressive. He was very passive aggressive. So even when he would throw me at the house, he would be like, you don't live here. Like, this is not your house. He would never scream. He was just more that type of person. But the other person was very in your face, aggressive, right? And so I remember one time I was so scared. He was like getting in my face. He was the other person. The other person. <laughs> that's that's still is I know crazy it's crazy it's crazy that's still like what the heck and I was just like man I that's have to trend, call the cops man. because this this and I remember someone telling me like yeah. if you feel you're in danger call the cops and so I remember in that moment I was like I have to call the cops you know I have to call the police and then when the police got there that person was like all right I have to go like they're gonna come and get me blah 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 and then so he told him like yeah run run go go like don't let the cops get you and then when the cops did show up to the house, um, he just 
lied about the whole situation he was just like oh no my wife is just like having a hard time like she's just having like, like he, he just defended completely defended them defended the other person and i was like oh this is crazy but i am just so thankful that i had something to believe in you know what i mean yeah. and i had people praying for me and um that i i, I did i made it out i yeah. made it out obviously there was still consequences like afterwards and and i think this is a big thing too with people who have been abusive and i know it's going to sound controversial but you have to forget forgive your abuser i remember um being out of the relationship but i was still so bitter and angry mm-hmm. and so i was just i still had like these feelings of like just anger yeah of course i mean it's it's normal but I was just like, I don't want to live with this anymore. And I remember a pastor telling me like, you are holding on to these people like little prisoners in the jail cell of your heart. Mm. And like, you're never going to be free like that. And I was like, he's like, let them out. And so I remember every day I would get in my car. I like told myself this, anytime I see my hands on my steering wheel, I'm going to pray blessings over these people and I'm going to forgive them in the name of Jesus. And then I would say their names and I'll be like, God, I forgive them in the name of Jesus. And I ask you to bless them. And so I did that, did that until one day I woke up and I just didn't feel anything towards them anymore. And I think God, as once I started developing an actual relationship with God, I realized like these people are just broken. They're just broken. Yes, they are narcissists. Absolutely. But they're narcissists because they're broken and because they need Jesus. They need healing. They need to learn that that they are also loved and but that they also need to like seek help. Yeah. A hundred percent. And that's such a beautiful thing that you bring up, such a beautiful message, because I think that's one of the most difficult parts. It's so hard. It's so hard. To forgive. It's so hard to forgive because you're like, but they did this to me. And then sometimes you think like I really did nothing but just wanna care and be there for that person like i look back and like my intentions the whole time were so pure and i'm just like man like they they really took advantage he really took advantage of that pure naive heart that i had and so that was really hard for me to like forgive them but i did and it was freeing and and it was relieving yeah i think it's it's hard because do you think it's hard because sometimes holding on it kind of it kind of makes us feel that we're holding them responsible like there's a there's an accountability there like no 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 like Definitely. or we feel like no no if i forgive that automatically i'm going to forget <clears throat> i think um you want to like defend yourself because for example me like there was no one defending me so like afterwards, I just wanted someone to like defend me. And I, so I wanted to defend myself. So, yeah. and I wanted people to know like, this guy's a jerk. Like yeah. this guy is not a nice person, yeah. <laughs> but it's not my job to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Once I started understanding that God is a God of justice, not of revenge. He is just, then um, there's also like that sense of wanting like to seek revenge and stuff, but yeah. you really got to forgive and like, <laughs> you know, you still got to be the good person that you are. Like, don't go be well, like them. Yeah. Well, because healing at the, at ultimately forgiving and healing, it really is, it really is for, for ourselves, you know, it really is, you know, but those factors are always, 
they're always it always makes it more difficult yeah. because it's like no like I, I I because I feel this way or because they made me feel this way something something needs to be done right you know but but I I agree with what you're saying you know and I you know one of my favorite quotes is you know it's uh, unforgiveness is like drinking a bottle of poison right. and expecting the other, the other person, person to die right you know and and that's exactly true you know because but at the same time I also it, it's very understanding because when a person can only take so much abuse yeah you know a person can only take so much rejection a person can only take so much until it kind of calluses you you yeah. know and you become hardened by it yeah and and, you, and you're absolutely right with that it's like no like no one else is going to defend me I'm gonna defend myself and I'm gonna use this as fuel to defend myself and see i really had to steer away from like that wanting to like <laughs> be revengeful yeah. so what did i have to do i had to cut off all our friends mm. any friend that we had like mutually like i had to completely step away from every single thing that tied me to him God. because i needed to be completely free of that person yeah and so that involved people i had to cut off people because it was always like it would always come up in conversation. You know what I mean? So it would always be like either someone's defending him or like defending me. It was just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I just, I just had to like agree to like, um, not want to speak bad on his name anymore. Yeah. And just let God do what God's going to do. Right. You move on with your life. Yeah. And, and I did. Yeah. I did. I moved yeah. on. Yeah, and you know, you, it was you, all, sure. it's, it, you know, it, yeah. I think it's as crazy as this sounds. I really do believe that, um, even that horrible experience that I had, yeah. it was all part of still God's purpose in my life because now one, um, I recognize red flags. Now I know like, even like with other friends, I'm like, they're starting to date someone and, and, you know, picking up on like behaviors and stuff. I'm like, hey, friend, like, you know, if they ask me, I'm like, hey, you know, that could be a little controlling because because I recognize what an abusive person looks like or what their behaviors look yeah. like. And I'm sure it even led to you, which kind of brings me to my next question is because it did lead you down a path to now, you know, more more recently where you took on even more counseling, right? Yeah. So <clears throat> what had happened was that once I was going through like divorce, this divorce process, mm -hmm. um, obviously I was seeking help, but I just felt like there was no help where I was seeking. And so there was a time where I was like, God, like I'm sitting in church. I don't feel like I can. And, and this is crazy because I was just remember thinking like I'm sitting in a room full of Christians but I feel like there's not one person here that I can go and ask for help. And I just remember thinking like, what, like, what is this? And I just, I remember telling God, like, God, I'm leaving. And I remember saying like, I'm leaving church, but, and then I remember hearing a still voice being like, but you'll be back. And so I left, I left the church I started partying hardy because I knew how to party already. Yeah. You know, I started, this is where I think I started um, diving into alcohol. I wasn't doing any drugs or anything like that, but I was just partying hard and drinking and binge drinking. And it was like Thursday and I'd be thinking like, what are we going to do Friday, Saturday and Sunday? You know, <laughs> I started kind of going into that life. So yeah. I don't want to say that I, I immediately started going into counseling, 
um, I went through maybe another spiral and then I went into counseling. Yeah. 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 No, and it makes sense because when you come out of something like that, what you came out of, you know, and and it just kind of goes back to that self-awareness, you know, that emotional intelligence is that sometimes... You know, you're, we're, we're so young sometimes and, and sometimes we don't realize the real internal damage, the real emotional damage. Mm-hmm. Like you've come to say, you know, it's kind of like even I, I don't want to say it's the same, but it's kind of like drug addiction. Right. When people, they leave the drugs, it's like, yes, I left it. I'm, I, I don't want it. And it's kind of like your relationship. You left the relationship. You even came to the point where it's like, this feels good. I don't yeah. need this person anymore. But just like the drug addict, like the drugs, they were just a layer. It was just a layer exactly. of what, ex- what mm-hmm. really they were masking. Because they were truly, every drug addict, you know, when they truly dig inside, you know, every recovering addict, I'm sorry, every recovering addict will always come face to face with the real issues. And when they don't, what happens is that they tend to go back to what they know. And emotionally, we're no different. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, whether it's a drug addiction or whether it's a broken, toxic relationship, when we come out of that, there was some emotional damage that occurred. Right. And that's why I can exactly feel what you're saying is that you're in a room full of people that that have are hope, supposed to help you, I think. Yeah. That are supposed to help, that are, you know, that that claim to have that, you know, and 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 maybe they did, but at the same time, you know what I mean? They had forgotten that, look, here is this person. Yeah. You know, here is this person that, you know, yeah, she's out of it, but we got to go deeper. Yeah, because I think even <clears throat> when you've been so hurt and you've dealt with trauma, like our instinct is to find a coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. And my coping mechanism wasn't necessarily like, oh, let me go get into another relationship. I was never a relationship person to begin with. I dated very, very little. Um, But I had to fill myself with something. Like I had to numb myself with something. And that's where the partying came in, you know? So it wasn't just like, oh, let me just go have some fun. It was like, no, let's go party. And I would binge partying and drinking for like two, three days at a time. And I did this for like a year. Wow. Yeah. So it's like, it's what exactly what you said. It's like this person now is out of this. And if that person doesn't go through a process of complete healing, they're going to look because we're humans and we need to be filled. We were created to be filled. So if you're not being satisfied, you will go look for satisfaction. And so that, that was me. (laughs) that was me yeah so then what happened so then I started um I started drinking a lot and partying and I thought I was just having like the time of my life but at the back of my head like I one thing for sure is like I never stopped praying right I was always taught to pray so I never stopped praying and I never stopped talking to God but I thought I was having fun. You know, I was just like, man, I'm like 23. I'm 24. Like I need to have fun. And, um, so at first it was fun, but then it started feeling very empty. Mm -hmm. And after the emptiness, I think I started falling into like deep, 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 deep depression. And I started experimenting symptoms of like anxiety. Mm -hmm. So talk about that. What What did you start to feel? So I started having anxiety attacks. Again, this is tied up with 
I started having um, health issues as well. So okay. this was definitely factoring into the depression and the anxiety. I just didn't know at the time. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. So um, I just started feeling very like dark, like just very, very, very dark. And I started feeling sick. So my body, um, I used to work out a lot. And so I just wasn't able to do my regular life things. Yeah. I just started feeling really sick. So I remember I started going to the doctor and being like, hey, like I used to work out a lot. Now I can't even like do half of what I used to do. I'm struggling to like go to work. I'm just feeling so tired. I'm getting really bad pains in my body. Like something is weird. And so um, they were just like, you're just really stressed out, like stress, stress. And after like numerous appointments, after like a year or so, they're just like, okay, you're just very like severely depressed and you have severe anxiety. So we're going to give you um, antidepressants. We're going to give you anxiety medication. We're going to help give you medication for like your sleep. We're going to give you medication for your appetite because I was losing my appetite. And so at the time I was just like, no, like I don't. I don't know if this is really what it is. Like, I just felt like, I don't know. I just felt like that wasn't the answer. But <clears throat> I was having intense episodes of like depression and anxiety. And I just remember one time getting so sick at work. Um, <clears throat> I think it was like health, but at the same time, I think it was my emotional issues, yeah. like just coming in together. Yeah. And I just, this happened a couple times at work. So, I would go to work and I just remember this specific time I was sitting in the in the lunchroom like right before my shift it was probably like 8 30 8 a.m ish and I would normally go in and have breakfast at at, at um at my at my job and I just remember like sitting there trying to eat and like my whole like hands like just get numb like everything just gets numb and then I feel like my whole face like just get numb Wow. And I was like, what is happening? So I look over and I tell my coworker, I'm like, go call, go call someone. And I just remember like, I couldn't move. Like my face was just like, I could not move. Yeah. And so I don't remember what I told him, but he was just like, Angie, are you okay? And I was like, no, I'm not okay. Yeah. And so they had to get like the ambulance to come because I literally was like, just frozen. Like I couldn't move. Like my whole limbs were like numb and stuff. And so then I still kept going to the doctors and they just kept telling me like, you just have anxiety or you just stressed out. But at this time, like more symptoms started like showing and stuff. Um, but then I also started having actual anxiety attacks, like at work, panic panic attacks. attacks, And I didn't know what they were. I just thought like, man, I'm so sick. Like something is wrong with me, but I didn't know what it was. And so I had, I started having really bad, like panic attacks at work and I I got to the point where I would have like two to three panic attacks a day. Wow. Like I was just going like it was just really bad. And then I was just having like a lot of memory loss. Like I couldn't remember at work. I could not focus like I could not have a normal day. I remember waking up and like not being able to wake up or sleeping hours and just feeling exhausted. Like I I, I couldn't go to the gym anymore. I just couldn't live like my my everyday life. I remember your normal routine. Yeah, I couldn't even brush my teeth because it would just hurt so much. Like I could not brush my teeth. I couldn't brush my hair. So I went for like going to work every day, just being this like very energetic person um, and eating right and just having like a life to like not even being able to move. 
And so, yeah, I was, I, I, I definitely think it was both things. It was the health issues, but then also the underlining like emotional issues that were going on that was causing like the depression and the anxiety portion of that. Yeah. And so what eventually came about, did they eventually give you your results to finally? Oh my God. So I think it was like a year later and I, I, I smile because this time was like so, so relieving, but at the same time, this is where the real battle started. So I remember they used to give me like all this medication and I remember looking at the bottles and being tempted and being like, is this going to fix me? Because I just wanted to go to work and be able to make a living for myself. And I just wanted to do normal things. Mm-hmm. And I would just look and be like, is this really going to fix me? And so I never took any of the that medication that they gave me because I was just like, no, like something is wrong. Like I just, I don't know. And so then finally, I don't know what happens, but I go into, they send me to like a therapist or a psychologist or something. And they're like, have they ever done blood work on you? And I was like, no. They're like, okay, well, let's do that and make sure everything like in your body is just like, okay, first before yeah. we jump into anything. And I was like, it's been a year, but okay. And so then they call me back and um, they're like, hey, we just like detected something like in your thyroid, you have an imbalance. So um, it's like an autoimmune disease. So Mm -hmm. your body's like fighting against you. You're just going to have to get on some medication. Um, And I remember asking like, how long do I have to be on the medication for? Oh, no, this medication's for life. Like you have to keep taking this medication forever. So at that point, um, I was already really sick. Um, The doctor pulled me out of work because I could not, I literally could not function. I think I dropped like 40, 50 pounds in like a matter of like three, four months, maybe my hair was falling out. Um, like my eyelashes, like just my hair in general was like falling out. Um, I was having extreme pains to the point where like, um, well, I've given birth now, so I understand, (laughs) you know, what contractions actually feel like. But back then I used to get contractions. Now that I give birth, I can confirm they feel exactly like contractions. Like the pains were so bad in my body. Like I would just literally get contractions. And so I got on the medication and I was still sick. I still could not function normal. And so again, I was going from doctor to doctor to doctor. And finally I I get to this doctor and he's like, we're going to do a couple tests because I was having a lot of it. Like my muscles would like shake and get numb. I would get pains. And the, the, I think the worst thing was like the extreme exhaustion. Like even breathing was like work. Like if someone would talk to me, I'd be like, like I just literally could yeah. not even breathe. And so I went and talked. I finally got to another doctor. It's probably like six months later. So the first diagnosis was July, 2019. Okay. And then I got diagnosed with the second immune deficiency, February of 2020. Okay. So it was right before COVID. Right before COVID. Uh-huh. And then I got pregnant. So I was, I, was st- I was still really sick, even though after they were treating me and stuff like that and they sent me back to work, I still could not function normal. Mm-hmm. I still could not function normal. And so then I got pregnant um, December of 2020. I found out I was pregnant. And then February of 2021, I got sent to the hospital and then they found a heart block on like my right artery. 
And so I was like, oh my gosh, like what is happening? Oh no, that was January of 2021. And so then I'm going for like my daily, like uh, my monthly like checkups and stuff for, for pregnancy. Yeah. And then February of 2021, they call me in and they're like, hey, we just noticed something like abnormal. Um, we don't want you to get scared or anything like that. And the doctor was like having a very like calm conversation with me. And I was like, this is weird. She's like, we just noticed that um, there, it looks like there's like some cancerous cells and I'm pregnant. Right. And so I'm like, oh, my God. And they're like, but we can't confirm yet because you're pregnant. And so um, we want to do further testing, but we have to wait till you give birth till you're clear from after postpartum. And I was just like, I remember going into the car and just being like, God, like I've already battled this health for like a year or two, just issues. And I was just like, God, like what else could happen with my body? And I just remember questioning God, like what's wrong with me? Like what's wrong with me? And I remember by this time I was already looking, I had already reestablished myself at a new church and they had a counseling program and I started there, but their counseling program only lasts five weeks. Because so, the amount of people. There's so many people. Yeah, yeah. There's so many people. And so they have to get through everybody, right? And so um, that helped, but it was very like surface, you know? And then I think it was December of 2020. Um, my mom actually recommended a counseling program that one of her friends was taking and again, my family was seeing how bad, like, my health was, right? And um, my mom was just, like, trying to figure out, like, how to help me. And so I decided to enroll myself in this counseling program. And I did it for a whole year while I was pregnant. And it was really hard. It was really, really hard. Yeah, because the, when you're pregnant, you you're know, You're so course, emotional. Yeah. You're so sensitive. Yeah. Everything's just different when you're pregnant. It, it is. It's awesome, but it, it, it's different. And so I remember once I got pregnant, I had to get off of a lot of the medication I was taking for my yeah. symptoms. And I stayed on one medication. Um, matter of fact, they told me if I didn't take that medication, my baby probably wasn't going to come out like fully developed or, you know, just stuff like that. Yeah. And... um I started the program, so I was on my medication, and then I don't know what it was, but I think after like maybe a month or two after the program, I just started feeling better. Like, I just started feeling like not as sick. Little by little, like symptoms started like diminishing, just kind of like falling off, like just, and... <clears throat> And then now that it's been a year since I've finished the program, I can literally say I have zero symptoms. Wow. I literally have zero symptoms. I went to the doctor a month ago um, and they were supposed to refill that one medicine that I'm supposed to take for like the rest of my life. Right. And I go to like my, uh, I go to the Walgreens to go pick it up. And they're like, no, you have to consult your doctor. And I'm like, they normally just refill it. Like it's an, it's a life thing. Like right. it's just refill after refill. 
And um, they're like, no, 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 no. You have to go consult your doctor. And so I go to the doctor and I'm like, hey, I need to get like my prescription refilled. And they're like, oh, we need to run tests first. Like we need to take blood work. I'm like, why? Um, I'm supposed to be taking this medication. I like, how long is the test going to take? And they're like, oh, like two, three weeks, maybe a month. And I was like, am I supposed to be off my medication this whole time? And they're like, well, we need to see first. So then whenever I go back like a month later, by the way, I wasn't even feeling symptoms anymore either, but I'm so programmed to take this medication, so reliant. And the doctor's like, everything's just back normal. I don't really think you need to take this medication anymore. And so she's like, how do you feel? I was like, I feel great. Like, I feel amazing. She's like, do you feel like you need? And I was like, no, I don't. I feel fine. Like, I am living a normal life, finally. Yeah, that is, that's awesome. That really is. And it just really goes to show how a lot of things that we go through physically, it really does. It's a reflection of how you are inwardly. Yeah, it's literally it what really it is. is. What I really was, I, I, I actually was emotionally sick. Yeah. That's really what it was. Yeah. And I remember when I was pregnant before I started um, the counseling program, I remember thinking something told me the, before I started counseling, I, I, something told me the more you heal inside, yeah. the more you're going to heal on the outside. And I just remember thinking like, yeah. is that even a thing? Like, can inner things really <laughs> affect your outside body like it, Mia because I'm yeah. so like and it, re- it yeah. has to make sense right and I'm like does that even, is that even scientifically possible yeah. you know I started like questioning it but it's crazy because it literally as literally after counseling I can say that's really what Jesus or in God used to like heal my body yeah yeah it it yeah, and that's the thing, man. Like, it, there's even a proverb that says that you know, um, you know, a good word is like medicine to the body. Yeah. You know, and it it really is like an encouraging word. You know, sometimes you know, uh, sometimes we don't realize you know a lot of what we're going through on the outside. You know, is a reflection of what we're going right. through in the inside, and that's why I'm such a big advocate. And I'm so grateful that you shared this because it's such it's such an important factor in everything that you've gone through. And it eventually, you know, we always say, well, yeah, it could have happened sooner. But at the same time, sometimes God will always allow us to go, allow us to go our own way, right. you know, so that at the end of the day, we can really just come to terms at the end and say, yeah, you know what? My heart really is broken, mm-hmm. you know, and whatever means, whatever tools, whatever resources are available. And that's why the resource of counseling therapy, I'm such a big advocate for it. Same. I'm such I'm a, a big, big advocate. advocate for it because I think even like in the church, it's become a stigma to like not seek this type of help. Yeah. And yes, God is enough, but God also created us. Right. You know, we're not just spiritual beings, but we're also psychological beings. We're right. emotional beings. And he He, He made us this yeah. way. So we have to use all the resources and tools available. So I always tell people, like, yeah. if you're dealing with trauma, if you have depression, if you have anxiety, like, yeah. yes, yes, seek God. Absolutely. 100%. But seek also a person who's also a, um, a believer, right? 
but who's professionally inclined to be able to handle a situation with you and also believes in Holy Spirit healing power. Right. You know what I mean? If you have this combination, yeah. like, please, yeah. there's no way you will fail. There's yeah. no way you won't come out healed. There's yeah. no way. Well, that, and, and that's what's so, so cool about what you're talking about is, you know, it really does remind me of the stories in the Bible when Jesus would heal. Right. You know, Jesus would heal physically. And then in, in, a, in a few instances, they would say, let me follow you. Mm-hmm. And then what would he say? No. Pick go up, and go and just and go be back with to your, your family. family and tell them. And I love that because it just really goes to show how, you know, for God, for Christ, it. You know, it's not so much important for you to just, you know, um, um, you know, go in and and mask certain things with like doing work and doing the work right. of the ministry, which is all that's good. Right. It's good. It's good to to work in the ministry. It's that's it's it's a it's a reflection of your gratitude. It's a reflection of your service towards others. But that just kind of goes to show how Jesus was more. He he was more. He was more. Um, how do you say? He was more concerned about them right because i'm sorry let me kind of go back he was more concerned with them being able to function back into normal society yep because what good was it if he was gonna they were gonna come and follow him if at the end of the day they were 20 30 years 10 years with this condition right they have to go back and learn they have to relearn what it is to live Mm. in their normal state of mind And a lot of times, like, that's what we need to understand. And that's where I, I, I really feel that self-awareness comes in, is that we need to, sometimes it's easier to teach a general teaching than to really just hit the heart, you yeah. know, really teach people to be self-aware. What do you struggle with? Because your struggles might not be your struggles. Right. We might not all struggle with the same thing. And that's why we need professionals. We need people that can speak into us. And like you said, I love that. Like a lot of times the Holy Spirit, especially in the more mm-hmm. traditional sense, we only think about the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. in the sense of like power, mm-hmm. in the sense of like having these crazy religious experiences. Right. That's the only thing we relate. But there's a key where it says, and he will guide you towards all truth. Right. And that's even that truth that, hey, whatever it is that is inside of you, those are truths that need to be taken out and many times dealt with. What's true inside of you, what's been living inside of you, we need to address those facts. We need to address the fact that this has been affecting you. We need to address the fact that that this did happen to Mm -hmm. you. You can't go on in life thinking that, no, this never happened, or we try to label it a certain way, like in your situation where... They were able to tell you, no, you are being abused. Mm -hmm. And it was the first moment when you were able to actually acknowledge it. And it it was hard to admit it because I I didn't want to fall into like that victim mentality. Right. So I was like, what? Which most Hispanics do. Exactly. Like that's a that's a culture thing. Like most exactly. No, no, no. I want that thing. You know, like no, no, no. Like you know, you know, no. Be a good wife. You know, Mm -hmm. do this, do that. Like I want that thing. You know, take the punches, do this. But it's like at the expense of what? You know, we need to address things. We need to be able to know. Like you are dealing with this because that's part of His presence, His Holy Spirit, convincing us of that truth. But at the same time, giving us the tools to deal with them. Exactly. And I want to go back because I would always hear, I believed in God, right? I believed God had the power to like heal me and I would pray so much. 
And I would always go back to like the woman of, in the Bible with the woman of the issue of the blood. Yeah. And I'd be like, she just touched Jesus and she was healed. And so I would always be like, God, like, I just want you to like heal me, like just touch me or like whatever it is. Or yeah. whenever there'd be like altar calls for like healing, I would always go up, go up. Right. And I would just question God, like, is it just not my time yet? And I, I think I started like being okay with the fact that God was going to just leave me sick for the rest of my life. And so I was just like, man, like, I think this is just my life. I think this is just, God's just going to have to use me as a sick person. Like I would literally think like that. Yeah, yeah. And so then it wasn't until I started doing counseling and during counseling, they actually made me sit out. So I couldn't serve in ministry for the whole year mm. because they, they told me this is going to be like a wild ride. Like we're yeah. going to go deep and thank God I found people that are believers, but that are also trained to deal with psychological issues. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, um, but also believed in Holy Spirit healing power. So all those things combined, I am just a living, walking testimony you are. of what, it, what that looks like. I always prayed for a miracle. I thought God was just going to come like he did in, in, in the olden days, you know, yeah. like put his hand on, someone's going to lay hands on me. And yeah. I was just going to, all of a sudden, all sickness was going to leave my yeah. body. But no, it was like a whole process. And now I'm so thankful that it wasn't that just instant moment because yeah. now I know that people are emotionally sick and that was me. Yeah. Yeah, man. That that is truly an offbeat story. You know, it really <laughs> is. It really is. And and I want to just thank you so much for coming on here and for sharing that story, Angie. Um, you know, you have a uh you're in the make you're in the make you're in the process of of forming and creating that beautiful family. Yes. You know, your son. Exciting. And, you know, and um and I, I I commend you so much, you know, I commend you so much for, for this journey that you've embarked on. And, you know, I know a lot of things you didn't choose them, you know, there were things that happened to you, mm -hmm. but, you know, I commend you so much for surviving that for, you know, like, like you said, you know, it's not about being a victim, but realizing that, you know what, things did happen to you and you overcoming those things, yeah. you know, and now you being able to share those things and, and to be able to share the truth about that journey, because th that's why that's why this podcast exists. You know, right. it's, a lot of times, you know, people want to share the the glory of the story only. You know what I mean? And and people just want to share like where they're at now. Yeah. You know, and that's great. You know, like that's great. But there's nothing more relatable when when we are able to just come down at this level and just have a conversation and be able to just talk about the journeys that that you've been on and and because that's what makes you you today you yeah know? absolutely I am so grateful I know it sounds crazy to have gone through everything that I've yeah. gone through it's taught me so much and I think if I wouldn't have gone through what I've gone through then I wouldn't know Jesus like I know him now mm. and he's the best yeah. thing that's ever happened to me yeah. so I'm just so happy to to have him yeah and some last words of advice if you want to look at this this camera right here Last words of advice to any women, girls that might be in your situation, that might might be in your situation a few years ago that are currently in that situation now. What would you like to tell them? Mm, that's a good question. I think um, whatever 
whatever your issue is, um, or whatever situation you're going through, whatever hardship you're going through, I think the best thing you can do for yourself is seek the right healing. The healed version of you is going to be able to do everything you've ever imagined doing. If you're a mom, the best thing you can give your kids is the healed version of you. So I think just seeking the right healing, I think a lot of us try to find our own ways of healing, but there is a right way to heal. So I think if you seek the right way to heal, everything you could have ever imagined is absolutely possible once you seek the right healing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I'm going to be putting um, NG's social media there. Um, she has a great following that, you know, she's also on, still on that fitness journey. Oh, yeah. um, she's always posting and, you know, she's always giving uh, tips, you know, advice, you know, she even, I think you even have like a, like a woman, right? Just like, like things that you just address towards women, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 So I have like my close friends list on Instagram where yeah. I just put women stuff. Um, but yeah, I actually forgot to mention that even in like healing, fitness has been a big tool as well. Yeah. I didn't mention that at all, but fitness is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. throw that in there. Oh yeah. So I'll put her social media uh, down there, man. You guys can reach out to her, follow her, DM her, you know, any questions that you might have. But once again, thank you guys so much to tuning into Offbeat Podcast, where we bring offbeat stories, offbeat interviews, where we're able to tell our journeys. And this is a platform. We're giving voices to people that maybe never thought they would be a voice, but we are bringing people in here that they are, they're making an impact where they are, even if it's in their own lives, even if it's in their own journey of healing, they have a voice, they have something to say. And that's what we're doing here. We're highlighting those people. We're highlighting those voices. And we want to just let you know that no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, there is hope. So thank you so much for tuning in. Once again, this was Offbeat Podcast. Let's go.